would invite you to take your bulletins and turn to page 8. There you'll find a number of proverbs that are printed for you that we'll be looking at today. Uh, Just a reminder, I know we have some visitors with us today. Uh, During the summers here at Trinity, we take a break from uh, going through a specific book of the Bible and working our way through. We're going through the book of John right now. During the summer, we like to do something just a little bit more thematic, and so we still are in the Scriptures, in God's Word. That's our authority. Uh, But we look at uh, the Scriptures as they relate to various themes and and things like that. And this summer, we've been spending time in the Proverbs, uh, looking uh, looking at what uh, is wisdom for us as God's people on a number of different themes and topics, things like our work and our words, anger and envy, uh, uh, forgiveness and pride. And today we're looking at what the Proverbs have to tell us about family. I'm going to ask you to listen as I read to you these Proverbs printed for you on page 8. So you'll be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of righteousness. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Let's pray together. Father, as we pray so often, we need the work of the Holy Spirit, even as we read your word, and also as we seek to understand it. So may the Holy Spirit be at work in these very moments, opening our eyes to see what you want us to see from this portion of your word. Teach us, encourage us, equip us, convict us, 
Give us what we need, for we know you know that, and we know that you can do it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I can remember when our children were young, and uh, we started reading to them uh, Grimm's fairy tales. Now, I didn't grow up with those, and so wasn't very familiar with them. And my, my sense of them was that these were all children's stories. And some of them are, and some of them really are not. But I did come across one recently that has some interesting application for our topic today. It's one that is titled, The Old Man and His Grandson. There once was a very old man whose eyes had become dim, his ears dull of hearing, his knees trembled, and when he sat at the dinner table, he could hardly hold the spoon and spilled the broth on the tablecloth or let it run out of his mouth. His son and his son's wife were disgusted at this, so they put the old man at last in the corner behind the stove, and they gave him his food in an earthenware bowl and not even enough of it, and he used to look toward the table with eyes full of tears. Once, his trembling hands could not hold the bowl, and it fell to the ground and broke. The young wife scolded him, but he said nothing and only sighed. Then they brought him a wooden bowl for a, they bought him a wooden bowl for a few half pence out of which he had to eat. They were once sitting thus when the little grandson of four years old began to gather together some pieces of wood on the ground. What are you doing there? asked the father. I am making a little pig trough, answered the child, for father and mother to eat out of when I am big. The man and his wife looked at each other for a while and presently began to weep. Then they took the old grandfather and put him back at the table and henceforth, henceforth always let him eat with them and likewise said nothing if he did spill a little of anything. Family relationships can be hard. Family relationships can be difficult. They can be painful. We know that that is a truth because the Lord even addressed family relationships by giving us one of the commandments directly relating to it. The fifth commandment, to honor our father and mother. That, that commandment, the fifth commandment, gives us that basic principle. And then among other places in the scriptures, here in the Proverbs, they, they help us to flesh out that principle. What it means to honor our father and our mother in our relationships. The fifth commandment actually applies with many different kinds of relationships. Today we're going to focus specifically on family relationships and we're going to use the Westminster Larger Catechism answers that we had earlier in our service to help give us some structure uh, to our looking at these Proverbs today. Remember what the Westminster Larger Catechism said is the scope of the fifth commandment. It helps us to think about our relationships with equals with those who are inferior to us and those who are superior to us. So as we think about family relationships, let's look and see what the Proverbs have to say to us about our relationship with our spouses, our equals, with our, as parents relating to children, our inferiors, and as children relating to parents, our superiors. So first of all, how are spouses to be relating to one another? 
Well, if you look at the first proverb, you'll notice that it says, So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. That's one of the first things to think about as we think about what it means to relate to our spouses. We are in covenant with them. Here we have the picture of an unfaithful one who forgets the covenant. Now, certainly the reference here to the covenant is uh, the a, a, a reference to the covenant that she has with the Lord. When we disobey the Lord, we're not being faithful in that covenant relationship that we are in with the Lord. But I also believe that this is speaking about the covenant relationship that exists between a husband and a wife. When we think about how we are to relate to our spouses, we need to remember that we are in covenant with them. Promises have been made. Vows have been taken. A binding agreement has been forged. A relationship has been consummated. We've had a number of weddings here at our church over the last 18 months, and each of the couples that have gotten married in that time have have gone to the uh, county uh, courthouse and gotten a marriage license from the state of Minnesota. They were given a a piece of paper uh, that eventually was signed and filed certifying their marriage and making it legal in the eyes of the state. But marriage is a lot more than a piece of paper. It's a binding covenant before the Lord. Promises and vows that are made in a Christian wedding are more about the future than they are about the present. Yes, the couples, when they take their vows, are expressing their love, their present love for one another. But the promises and vows that they make are more about the future than that very moment. It's not so much about how they feel in the present. It's the promise. It's the declaration about the love and the commitment and the persevering that they will do in the future. Lewis Smedes was a one-time professor at Fuller Seminary in California. He said this, When I married my wife, I had a smidgen of sense of what I was getting into with her, but only a smidgen. How could I know how much she would change? How could I know how much I would change? My wife has lived with five different men since we got married, and each of them has been me. The connecting link with my old self has always been the memory of my name I took on the day of my wedding, the day that I said, I am he who will be with you there through the journey. The covenant relationship that we have with our spouses is a journey. It's a commitment to the journey. Understanding your relationship with your spouse as being in covenant together doesn't make it easy. It doesn't take all the problems away. It doesn't take all the challenges away. But it gives you a foundation on which those challenges and problems can be addressed. It's saying, I'm committed to this journey. I'm committed to the promises of this journey. So part of what it means to be relating to our spouses is that we remember that we are in covenant with them and the idea that we're on a journey together. And as we think about the idea of being on a journey, that takes us to the second thing that uh, we can think about. The Proverbs telling us about what it means to relate to our spouses. It's not just the fact that we're in covenant, but they are also our companions. That's, again, the first proverb toward the end. It talks about this unfaithful woman who forsakes the companion of her youth. The word means friend or intimate, the one that you're with. You're you're intended to be on this journey together, to do life together. 
that you're not intended to be married, but essentially living completely separate lives from one another. You're not business partners. You are to be companions. You are to be journeying together. And what do, what do companions do as they journey together? They, they help one another. They serve one another. They work for the good of the other. And they put that other one first. Is that what your marriage looks like? Every day you are called as a spouse to die to yourself and to love and to serve the companion of your youth. We are told by the Proverbs that as we relate to our spouses, we are in covenant with them. We are to think of them as our companions. But the Proverbs also tell us that we ought to be captivated or intoxicated with our spouses. You can see that in Proverbs 5, verses 18 through 20. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. You can translate that to be drunk in her love, to be captivated in her love. I'll just tell you that if we took some time and thoroughly unpacked the Hebrew here in Proverbs 5 and a couple other places in Proverbs that speak very similar to this, we would all be blushing and squirming in our seats a good bit. Uh, the language here in the Hebrew is pretty graphic. It's pretty explicit. It's beautiful. It's good. But it is, it is graphic. A spouse is not only someone that you're in covenant with. It's not only a companion. This is also your lover. Being captivated, being intoxicated in love for your spouse for some is easy. But for some it's not. For some it takes work and prayer and intentionality and a patient pursuit. Of course there are seasons when it is more a reality in your marriage than others. But we all need to ask ourselves in our marriage relationships, what is the trajectory of our relationship with our spouse? Are we, are we growing in intoxication of love with our spouse? You are to be understanding your relationship with your spouse as being in covenant with them, as companions with them, as being captivated, intoxicated with them. For those of you that are married, how are you doing? The Bible says a lot, a lot more about how spouses are to relate to one another. But if we just take these three that we've seen here from the Proverbs, being in covenant, being companions, and being intoxicated, captivated by their love, how are you doing? I think even with just these three ways, we see the many ways that we fall short of living the way that the Scriptures tell us that we are as we relate to our spouses. And so we need to ask ourselves, what is our motivation for pursuing these things in our marriage? And the answer, first and foremost, is that it must be the gospel. The Bible gives us the picture of a marriage to describe our relationship with the Lord. Jesus is the bridegroom. He is the husband, the church. Christians are the bride, the wife. And how does Jesus treat us as his bride? How does Jesus relate to us as his bride? He is faithful to us. He loves us and serves us. He walks in life with us. He is our friend and he satisfies us. In fact, our bridegroom Jesus went so far as to die for us. To take our sin upon himself and to suffer in our place. 
Don't think about your marriage as I will only put as much into this relationship as my spouse does. Rather, I will be the spouse that I'm supposed to be even when my spouse isn't that way to me. Because that's how Jesus has loved me. He treated me that way when I didn't deserve it. He loved me when I wasn't lovely or loving. Secondly, what did the Proverbs have to tell us about our relationship, uh, the relationship of parents to children? Uh, Some of you may have heard the story that Chuck Swindoll uh, tells, Pastor Chuck Swindoll tells. He was on a pastoral visit with a family in his church. They asked him to come over for dinner. So he went over for dinner at their house and the couple's young child was notoriously rowdy and disruptive and certainly that night was no different. Constantly interrupting and being disrespectful and disruptive. It happened before dinner, it happened during dinner, and it happened after dinner and the parents did nothing about it. The child simply ran wild as he saw fit. After dinner, both of the parents were in the kitchen getting the dessert ready. The child came over to Pastor Swindoll and took his plate and dumped it on the table, making a complete mess and getting food on Swindoll as well. The parents heard the commotion and they ran into the dining room and they saw what had happened. They were bewildered and the wife barked at Swindoll in a scolding voice. Why didn't you do something? His response was, I never rebuke the head of a household. The scriptures, Proverbs, have another approach for how parents are to relate to their children. What do they tell us? Well, Proverbs 22.6 tells us that we are to train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We are to train up our children. That's not passive. That's active. It's action. It's proactive. It's intentionality. Parents are to be teaching and training our children what is right and what is wrong. They are to be teaching the truth. They are to be teaching them God's truth. And we see it also in Proverbs 4 verses 111 as we hear uh, this interaction between a father and son. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. For I was, for when I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. It's a picture of a father seeking to impart wisdom, uh, good precepts to his son. Teaching him the difference between what is the wisdom of God's word and the folly of the world. Training his child to be discerning, able to see the unbiblical presuppositions and powers and persuasions of the world. According to the Proverbs and other places in the scriptures as well, Deuteronomy and Ephesians, this is what you've signed up for when you have children. First and foremost, it is your responsibility to train up your children, to teach them. You can't just delegate that to a a teacher or a youth ministry program or a Sunday school class. Those are all good tools for you to be using as you're seeking to train up your children. But the calling and the responsibility, first and foremost, is yours. 
And dads, let me get your attention for a moment. It's not just your wife's responsibility. In fact, the scripture speaks more about it being the responsibility of the father. We don't get to just abdicate the responsibility and participation in training up our children. We need to be involved. We need to be aware. We need to participate. Now, before we move on to see another aspect of what the Proverbs tell us about how we are to relate to our children, let me just make a quick word about the end of Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's important for us to remember that what we're reading here is a proverb. It's God's wisdom and guidance for living lives as God's people. This is not a formula. If you do X, then you're guaranteed to get Y. That's not what this is. It's a proverb. It's a description. A description of how things normally usually work in God's kingdom. But there are many other circumstances that come into play, some of which have nothing to do with you as a parent. So if you've been faithful in doing the first half of Proverbs 22.6, but you haven't seen the fruit of the second half, don't use this verse to heap up guilt and shame upon yourself or upon others. That's not the intention of this verse. We are to be training up our children. Secondly, parents are to relate to their children by disciplining their children. We see that. In Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father, the son, in whom he delights. We are being told here to model our father's relationship with us as his children, with our children. The scripture tells us that our father in heaven disciplines us as his children. And so we are to be disciplining our children. But I want you to notice what is the motivation as we discipline our children. It's as a father, the son in whom he delights. And in Hebrews chapter 12, we're told that God disciplines those he loves. Those that he considers genuine children. We are called to discipline our children because we love them. Because we delight in them. Not out of anger or frustration, or because we've been inconvenienced, or are being impatient. This is important. In the midst of our discipline, we have to ask ourselves as parents, where is our heart? And if our hearts in that moment are not in a good place, it's probably best to go get our hearts right with the Lord, and then to discipline our children. And think about it as the opposite as well. If we aren't disciplining our children, we're not loving them well, according to what the scriptures say. We're not delighting in them the way that we should be. We also can see it in Proverbs 22, verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. The word that's used there for folly here has kind of the sense of being self-centered having a lack of concern of others. And what we're being told is that selfishness is bound up in the hearts of our children. I think we can all see that. We can see it in ourselves as well. And the Lord calls on parents to drive it out, drive that folly out of them. We become the means that God uses to drive that folly and self-centeredness out of our children. 
And we do it, how? Well, the proverb says, with the rod of discipline. That word that's used there can mean a literal rod, like a shaft or a spear. But it also can be used for a shepherd's staff or a shepherd's crook. If you know anything about shepherds, they can use their staff to strike the sheep to keep them away from danger. But they also use that staff in a gentle way at times to guide and to help the sheep know where to go. The rod of discipline here doesn't always necessarily mean spanking. It can, but not always. The point is that we have to discern our children and their hearts. Let me give you an example from our own family. Now, I will leave names out for obvious reasons. We have a child who, when that child was, I think, probably about two, the child was very much like their father, strong-willed and stubborn. And I remember a very specific time that child was going toward some curtains that that child had been told, do not pull on those curtains because they would come down. And as the child went there, I told the child not to do it. The child looked back at me and reached for the curtains. We have another child. When that child was about the same age, if we looked at that child sternly, that child would melt in tears. Understand, we have to discern our children and how best to get at their hearts. And God's given us that flexibility and we need the wisdom to know our children and so that we might be discerning how we discipline our children. We are to train up our children. We are to discipline them. And as we've already hinted at, we are to delight in them. We saw that in Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, as a father, the son in whom he delights. And then we see it also in Proverbs 23, verses 22 to 25. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. By wisdom, instruction, and understanding, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let him who bore you rejoice. Parents, as you relate to your children, you should delight over them. You should rejoice over them. You should be glad in them as our father does to us. So we should to our children. This is true whether our children are little or whether they're grown. Let your children see you taking delight in them, enjoying them, finding ways to show that to them. Now, before we move on uh, to the last point, let me make two quick asides here. The first is this. Some of us have adult children who are not living God-honoring lives. They're even pursuing things that are contrary to the Lord and to His Word. And you might feel like there's no way that you can delight over them. No way that you can rejoice over them like these Proverbs talk about. But you should still try. Without delighting in or rejoicing in unbiblical choices that are being made, without compromising truth, look for something, look for some part of them that you can still delight over. Give thanks to the Lord for and show them and let them know. And then secondly, as an aside, let me just make a quick word to those of us who don't have children yet. You can still apply some of these principles in your life. As a member of our church family, you take vows every time we baptize a child. 
to be part of that child and that family's life, to walk with them and to be a part of encouraging them. Obviously, you don't have the same responsibility of discipline as parents do, but you have plenty of opportunities of training them up and delighting and rejoicing over them. So don't miss those opportunities when they come along. Thirdly and lastly, how are children to relate to their parents? Well, one of the things that they can do is to not despise them. Read in Proverbs 23, verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Children, don't despise your parents. What does that mean? It means not to hate them. It means not to look down on them, to scoff at them, to mock them. Not to roll your eyes at them. Not to disrespect them. The the opposite of despising them is to honor them. Which is what the commandment tells us, that we are to honor our parents, to respect them. Now some of you might be saying, I have parents who don't love the Lord, who aren't living God-fearing lives. But you should still honor them, not disrespect them or ridicule them. You can honor them in how you speak to them and how you speak about them. And even in the boundaries that you may have to put up. So children should not despise their parents. They should also be attentive to them. We see that at the beginning of Proverbs 4. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction and be attentive. And then again, the beginning of uh, Proverbs 23, 22. Listen to your father who gave you life. Be attentive to your parents. Listen to them. The way that God has caused life to go in general is that your parents have more wisdom than you do. Obviously, there might be cases where that's not the true. But in general, parents tend to have more wisdom than their children do. Inasmuch as you have parents who have wisdom and understanding, be attentive to them. Listen. So don't despise them. Be attentive to them. But also obey them. Again, Proverbs 4, about three lines down is verse 4. Speaking about his father, he said, He taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. The context here is children who are living in the home with God-fearing parents, which, by the way, is most, if not all, of the children of our church. You're called to obey your parents. Assuming, again, that your parents aren't leading you away from being faithful to the Lord and His Word, the children and young people of our church, you have parents who love the Lord, are seeking to obey Him, and so you should obey them. As they love and delight in you and as they seek to love and honor the Lord, your job is to obey your parents. Even when you don't want to. Why? Not just because they tell you to, but because God tells you to. So as you obey your parents, you're also obeying the Lord, which brings him joy. Don't despise your parents. Be attentive to them. Obey them. And lastly, don't curse them, but forgive them. That's the sense of the last proverb, 2020. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. With the assumption there that we forgive them. Whether we are children who are still at home with our parents or adult children who still have parents that are living, there are going to be opportunities to choose to not curse them and to forgive them. In fact, the Old Testament law 
was rather stringent about this. Cursing parents was considered so bad that children could actually be put to death if they were children that cursed their parents. Whether that's what the proverb is saying here, that with his lamp will be put out into utter darkness, or whether it's just telling us that if we live lives failing to forgive our parents and just cursing them in our hearts, our lives are going to be miserable. So don't curse your parents. Forgive them. How should children relate to their parents? Not despise them, be attentive to them, obey them, and not curse them, but forgive them. The Bible is full of stories about families that were a mess. One of those is about the family of David. David was the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. He was in a position of power, prestige and honor. And David used his power to bring a young woman not his wife, the wife of someone else, Bathsheba, to himself. And he had an affair, an affair with Bathsheba, and she got pregnant. That son was born, then afflicted with an illness, and the child died. David covered up his affair with Bathsheba in deceit and anger, having her husband Uriah killed. Later, one of David's other sons, Amnon, took advantage of his own sister, Tamar, and abused her. And then one of David's other sons, Absalom, took revenge and killed his brother Amnon and then fled. The Bible tells us that David pursued Absalom. He, he went after him as his son, but we're never told that David disciplined him in any way. Eventually, Absalom created his own army and attempted to take over the kingdom from his father, David. He caused a rebellion to break out against his father. And David was forced to put together his own army to protect himself and the kingdom. And as he did, he gathered his commander, Joab, and he gave Joab a very specific order. Go find my son. Go find my son, Absalom, and bring him back to me. But whatever you do, don't kill him. Joab pursued David's son, Absalom, and as Absalom was riding away on his mule, his hair got caught in a tree and he was dangling from the limb. And Joab took three spears and plunged them into Absalom's heart, directly disobeying David's order. But why not? Why not? David hadn't been honoring the Lord in his relationships when David got the report that his son Absalom had been killed, we read about his response in 1 Samuel 18. The king was deeply moved and he went up to the chamber over the gate and he wept. And as he went, he said, oh, my son Absalom, my son Absalom, would that I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Those are the words of a man of a family. That broke the fifth commandment over and over and over again. That failed to live with the wisdom of Proverbs about family relationships. And here's the thing. This was King David. This was the Lord's anointed. This was a man after God's own heart. This was a man who was set up and knew the word of God better than we do. And if he couldn't do it. If his family was such a mess, what hope is there for us? 
What hope is there for us? If we're going to be freed from the guilt and the shame of all the ways that we fail in our family relationships. If we are going to have the right motivation and strength to honor the Lord in our family relationships. Then we need to remember God's grace to us in the gospel. On the cross, the father let his son die. In fact, he sacrificed him, not because he was a bad father, but because he loved us, his children, so much. The only way that we could be made right with God and have our sin paid for and be credited with the righteousness that we need to enter heaven was that Jesus, God's son, was forsaken by the father. All for us. That's how much the Lord loves you. That's his grace to you. And the more, brothers and sisters, the more that that truth of that grace gets into our hearts and our minds, the more that we are gripped by it, the more we will be motivated and strengthened to live in godly ways in our family relationship. Some of you are saying, well, what if I have a difficult spouse? Go back to what Proverbs 2 tells us. Unlike this unfaithful woman in Proverbs 2, Jesus never forgets his commitment to his people. Jesus came to the earth to get into the worst possible marriage with us. And he perseveres in his marriage to us, even in the midst of our unfaithfulness to him. He shows us unconditional persevering love when we don't deserve it. And that should change us and motivate us, enable us to persevere in imperfect marriages. We can look at an unloving spouse and love them. Because you know how much Jesus loves you. Some of you are saying, but what if I have difficult children? Children who won't listen and who don't obey, who are disrespectful. We have to remember who we are before our Heavenly Father. We're rebellious children. But our Father in Heaven never gives up on us. He never quits disciplining us, doing it out of love and delight. Think about your rebellion against your heavenly father and his consistent patience, his perseverance, his love, his faithful discipline and his pursuit of you. And that should move you. That should change you and motivate you to be parents, even to difficult children. Some of you are saying, but what if I have difficult parents? How can I fight resenting them? How can I honor them and respect them? You need to remember that Jesus, who was forsaken by his father in order to pay our debt, in order that we could have the ultimate parents delight and acceptance, the delight of our heavenly father over us, that should move us, that should change us, it should motivate us to honor our parents and not resent them, even when they deserve it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for giving us your word. In it is wisdom. Because it comes from you. We thank you for giving us the book of Proverbs. We thank you for the wisdom that it imparts to us about so many things that we've talked about this summer, including our family relationships. Father, this one touches us in so many ways. I pray, Father, that you administer your peace and your comfort, your hope 
even your joy to us today as your spirit takes your word and presses it deeply into our hearts and our minds. Do this we ask, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.